looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Mmm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm -mm Mmm-mm-mm. Don't mess with me, I'm one crazy mofo. Hey, I know we have a lot of horror fans that listen to our shows, and I know things have been tough for everybody across the board these past six or seven months with what's been going on in the real world, but I wanted to make a suggestion to you horror fans, because I know part of the normal routine year in and year out is to attend different conventions to meet some of your favorite horror stars. However, none of us have been able to do that because of obvious reasons. But I do have a little suggestion for you. SignatureHorror.com Now, some may ask, what is that? Well, they obtain autographs for the fans from some of their favorite stars, from some of their favorite franchises. Whether it be the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and many more. They have different options such as, besides getting their autographs, you can do live Zoom calls with your favorite stars. You can do personalized videos for people, greetings of some sort. They just have many options. So if you're looking for to spend some money that you may have spent at conventions, check them out and see the options they have signaturedhorror.com that's right signaturehorror.com
Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. Hey, it's me, Bill Mosley, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. Ride that crazy train, and happy Halloween. Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in a podcast world, your croc, Jonathan Steele. And boy, do we have a good one for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, this next guest is an actor, musician, and horror icon that burst into the horror scene in a huge way as the character Chop Top in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. His most notable role, though, from the horror genre, chillingly well-realized portrayal of Otis B. Driftwood from the Firefly Fun film series let me in house of a thousand corpses devil's rejects and three from hell our guest bill mosley first and foremost mr mosley how are you doing uh doing well uh you know it's an overcast day here in los angeles uh temperatures in the 70s which is a great relief after uh earlier this month it was up uh, over 100 so uh that's good. Uh, overcast, I enjoy. Um, nobody's uh, sick. Um, you know, that's good. And, uh, you know, Halloween is, uh, what is it? Like uh, next Saturday. Eight, eight days away. So there you go. Can't beat it. Exactly. We got about the same weather today, but over in the Philly area, that's for sure. All right. Overcast, mid 70s will be by the end of the day. Good to go. Good. Yes, and I'll, I'll I'll be seeing you guys pretty soon. Oh, what do you got coming on? Uh, I'm coming to um, uh, you know I'm I'm flying to Philly uh, actually on Halloween. Okay, what kind of event you do doing? I'm doing the drive-in. Oh, up in near Allentown and all, or yeah. Oh, sweet. Yes, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. The drive-in. Uh, let's see. That would be uh, November first. Oh, uh, you know, we're, we're airing or screening uh, 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 Chainsaw 2 and uh, another Chainsaw, I think it's Chainsaw 3 maybe. And um, I am the kind of celebrity MC of the event. Um, so I will be there. Nice. Yeah, they, they've been doing a lot of those up in that area recently. I know they did a Nightmare 1. There's been a couple 
different things they've been doing, trying to make the best of the situation we got going on currently. Right. But, I'm trying to see if I have my, uh, my, my more info about it, but um, yes. So I will, I will be there and um, good to get back to Philly. You know, I've done actually, uh, I've made two movies in Philadelphia, um, the church directed by uh, Dom Franklin and then American exorcist, you know, with uh, Tony Trav, uh directing. So, I, uh, you know, have great, great love for Philadelphia, by the way. Yeah, it's a, there's a lot of uh, production that ha normally happens uh, in this area. I know the first production happening currently since COVID hit and everything, uh, it's actually a Netflix special for Adam Sandler. So mm. I was just reading. But obviously, for the most part, we've all been in quarantine life. What's that been looking like for you? Uh, you know, it's actually been okay. Um, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I can be reclusive. Uh, so uh, it's been okay. Uh, um, I've actually uh, found things to do, which is really important during the, you know, the lockdown and all that stuff. I, uh, the first thing I did was I watched all episodes of Kolchak the Night Stalker. And uh, with Darren McGavin, old uh, TV show, and uh, it was great. And that then propelled me on to start with episode one, season one of X-Files. And so I've gotten all the way through. I think I'm, I'm losing a little steam. I'm about halfway through season six. And I uh, just love uh, Scully and Mulder, so I've been doing that. Um, I came up with uh, my first uh, comic book. Um, called uh, the Cursed Cornfield Comics, issue one. And that is available at www.cursedcornfieldcomics.com. And I wrote it, and it's illustrated by an amazing uh, illustrator named Simon Kudrensky. Uh, and Simon uh, has done the Spawn. He does Batman. I mean, he is, he is like, you know, one of the great comic book illustrators, uh, you know, on the planet. And uh, the two of us teamed up. So you can get that. You can't get hard copies yet, but you can uh, download it. Uh, and it's, <clears throat> excuse me, name your own price. So that's been good. Um, you know, and work where there, there's still offers coming in. It's just that nobody's actually working now. So there's that. And then I've, I've done this thing called that uh, cameo. Yeah. And that is, uh, you know, I, I heard about it, you know, I've heard about it for like a year and I kept saying like, you know, hey, it's not my deal. Um, but then, uh, you know, it's actually been really a lot of fun. I finally, you know, my wife impressed upon me the need to continue to earn. <laughs> so uh, so I, I looked into it and, and tried it out and it's actually been a lot of fun. So I do Cambio as well. Yeah, because I know you uh, are when it comes to like conventions and stuff, when things were our previous normal, I should say. Right. You were one of those guys that were pretty hands-on and appropriately, mind you, I should say, but very interactive with everybody in terms of the people that came over to see you, get pictures, all that fun stuff. So yeah, cameo yeah. seems to make sense for you. Yes. And, you know, I mean, I, I do love the horror fans um, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, interacting with the horror fans. Um, and, 
it's been interesting. You know, it's been, you know, there's been, of course, no horror conventions, no production. So that's pretty much, you know, uh, grounded me. Um, you know, and that's what I think it's true of a lot of people, no matter what industry they're in. A lot of people have to, uh, you know, scramble to come up with new ways to not only earn money, but also to keep busy. Um, you know, I'm just glad that, uh, you know, if there is a silver lining in the pandemic, it's that, uh, you know, my two kids are actually out of college. Uh, my younger daughter uh, graduated via Zoom uh, back in June from uh, UCLA here in Los Angeles. Uh, and I'm just so glad that I don't have, uh, you know, kids that have to go to Zoom school. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of things... Uh, that, uh, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I, I, I consider myself fortunate in terms of the timing of the, the, the pandemic. Um, you know, and that's not to say that, um, you know, it's over. <laughs> no, no. Stretch. But, um, you know, I don't have like three, you know, kids in grade school trying to get them in front of the, you know, the monitor or the iPad or whatever it is. So, yeah, I have friends that, that do have young children and, uh, you know, that just sounds like, you know, another level of, of pain for everybody involved. Exactly. But uh, rumor had it, and this could be wrong, to go to, back to the professional side of things here, that there was an inspiration for you during a summer work trip out in Wyoming. If that's true, could you tell that story? Yeah, I mean, it all goes back to uh, 1976, I guess, um, 75, 76, when um, I first I saw, I first saw uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I saw it in Boston in the combat zone on the tail end of a double bill with uh, Enter the Dragon. So I'd never seen a Bruce Lee movie, Sunday afternoon matinee, combat zone in Boston is kind of like Times Square in New York. It's funky. Um, and uh, <clears throat> so I saw this, I saw this movie because I just thought the title was so crazy. I just said, man, I got to check this out. So I, I certainly watched uh, Enter the Dragon, everybody in the theater, very enthusiastic. You know, it's the kind of crowd that yells back at the screen, you know, kick his ass, Bruce. And um, very boisterous and full of energy. And then, then came Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And from the opening seconds of it, which is kind of a melted corpse in a slow motion strobe with this tortured violin string, you know, and just these weird images. I just it sucked the air out of the theater. And, uh, you know, every, there was silence throughout the whole movie. And at the end of the movie, I was just like, holy shit. You know, I, you know, was freaked out and, um, uh, and it really like freaked me out for some reason. I, you know, I, I don't know if I, I don't know what it was. Maybe I, I'm from rural Illinois. So, you know, I've seen a lot of those kind of guys, but uh, usually the gas station with the rotisserie and the, you know, you know, <laughs> the barbecue is, uh, you know, that's kind of folksy and kind of rustic. Uh, but, uh, you know, after seeing Chainsaw, it's just, I just thought like, who is, who's, who's on the rotisserie, you know, and, uh, Anyway, so, uh, you know, it, 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 it stuck with me and freaked me out. So I ended up um, trying to see the movie more. You know, I, I went around. And of course, that was pre, you know, DVD, VHS. And so uh, 
you know, I had to go see it in theaters, you know, wherever it, whenever it played. And I, I think I saw a chainsaw maybe six or seven times, maybe more, um, you know, in scattered theaters and uh, hoping that by uh, familiarizing myself with it, that it would kind of lose its power over me. And, uh, and it didn't, it just made it worse. <laughs> and uh, one summer, it was the summer of, I think it was maybe 1984. Uh, so this was like, you know, eight or nine years after I'd actually seen it for the first time. Uh, chainsaw. Um, I was on a ranch in Wyoming uh, working for the summer. Uh, I was working just as a ranch hand. Uh, I was working with a kid, 16-year-old um, kid who was um, a sugar freak and he would, you know, drink the bug juice in the morning and have the frosted flakes and eat the fudge sickles and, you know, candy bars and uh, and then he would work and during, and you know, as the hot sun beat down, he's doing manual work. Uh, he would go into what I called uh, sugar deliriums and uh, they would just kind of bake his head and then he would start, you know, doing, you know, so top 40 I songs. I, and, I have no idea oh, yeah, what you're right, talking about. You know, you're the guy. <laughs> but he would, uh, you know, he would just go into these crazy, you know, sugar freakouts and, uh, and really kind of speak in tongues. And uh, one day we were working, you know, and I would, pretty much turned a deaf ear to him. But we were working and uh, he was, you know, sugared up and started to go into his routine, you know, and I, you know, he was going like, hey, Captain Crunch, Captain Crunch. And then all of a sudden he just goes, Texas Chainsaw Manicure. And then back to his blather and, uh, and I heard it, it just like went right into my head. Um, when we were done with our shift, I went back to the bunkhouse and wrote out a five-minute scenario about a woman who goes to a beauty parlor, gets her hair done, sitting under the dryer, you know, wants a manicure, and uh, the beautician calls to the back of the shop, you know, manicure, and uh, <clears throat> then all of a sudden you hear that, you know, yank starting chainsaw and the sliding steel door, and out from the back comes uh, Leatherface with a chainsaw and uh, comes over to her and she's under the dryer and he starts sawing on her fingers. So that was my idea. I, uh, I, I went back to New York City after that summer of fun and, uh, and I gathered some friends, you know, 500 bucks, took over a beauty parlor on Staten Island, uh, not far from, you know, well, you guys know you're Philly, um, yeah. and then uh, shot the Texas Chainsaw Manicure. And, um, and it was it was fun because it was a, it was a fun thing to shoot. It was a, it was a lot of fun. It was directed by this woman named Lori Frank, who was a really cool director, and shot by Ed Lockman, who is a famous cinematographer. You know, has become gone on to become, and uh, so it was a lot of fun to do. And it was really a labor of love. And um, what happened was that uh, I tried to sell it. And nobody was buying it. It was like too violent or too this or too that. So I was kind of stuck with it. And uh, I found out that being a producer means that, you know, they call you when they want their money. <laughs> so, and I didn't have any money. So I, you know, was working at, like as a waiter, trying to, you know, make the money to pay back the, uh, the you know, the uh, uh, place called Broadway Video, which is actually owned by Saturday Night Live. And that's where I did the editing and they wanted their money and, you know, it was like, oh, so um, 
anyway, uh, so this was, I had this five minute short and uh, I was working at the time for Omni magazine, which is, uh, you know, late great Omni, which was a science kind of science fiction magazine. And they sent me to uh, Los Angeles on a junket to cover the making of 2010, uh, the Space Odyssey sequel. And, uh, and so I was flown out to LA, put up in a hotel, everything was nice. And I brought along a copy of The Manicure on VHS and uh, called up a friend of mine who lived in LA who was already, you know, had already made a name for himself as a young upcoming screenwriter. He and his partner had written uh, Doc Hollywood and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So they were already, you know, raking in the dough and, you know, toast of the town. And, uh, and so I had dinner with, with my buddy and his wife. And, uh, and as part of that, I, I showed him the manicure. And my friend Pete said, uh, look, dude, give me this copy of the manicure because um, I have my partner and I have an, have an office right across the hall from Toby Hooper. And Toby at the time was working on Poltergeist. And so I said, you know, yeah, sure. Here's, here's a copy. I uh, hope he likes it because, you know, I'm still getting calls like, where's my money? And so, you know, I hope at least if Toby liked it, my, my thinking was, you know, at least it would, it would kind of be some kind of a victory, uh, you know, however Pyrrhic, you know, wouldn't necessarily solve anything, but, you know, at least he'd like it. That'd be cool. So I gave him this copy and uh, he, he told me to call Toby. He got me, he get, got me Toby's home number too, which was really pretty great. And uh, told me to call him in about, uh, yeah, about a week, 10 days. So went back to New York, you know, worked on that article, called Toby in a week or 10 days. And, uh, and he answered the phone, which I later found out was a miracle. And, uh, and he said, uh, hello. I said, uh, hi, Toby. It's me, uh, Bill Mosley. Who? I said, well, uh, I'm, I'm the guy that did the manicure, chainsaw manicure. And he goes, oh, hello. Yeah, I love the manicure, Bill. I loved it. And I said, oh, great. And he said, yeah, who, who was the guy that played uh, the hitchhiker? Because what I had done is I had given myself a cameo as the hitchhiker at the very end of it. You know, she, you know, what happens is Leatherface saws her fingers. She screams, passes out. The beautician slaps her cheek under the dryer and she, she comes to and she goes, ah, 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 ah. She looks at her fingers and she's got a perfect manicure. So, <laughs> you know, the happy ending. And so she comes out, she's all, you know, her hair is done. She's got this great manicure. She comes out to the truck outside the beauty parlor. And, uh, you know, and I'm behind the wheel, uh, dressed and made up as the hitchhiker from the original Chainsaw. And uh, she comes out and she goes, look, honey, I got the best manicure ever. And as she's getting in the truck, I go, hey, that's great, honey. We should celebrate with some head cheese. And I had bought a you know, lump of head cheese, and uh, which isn't really, it doesn't look very dramatic. But if you look at the ingredients, you know, it's dramatic. Uh, anyway, uh, you know, I, you know, showed her the head cheese and that's how the movie, you know, then the movie, you know, then it cuts back into the beauty parlor and now another woman under the dryer wants, uh, and she's shaking her feet. She wants a pedicure. So that's kind of how the film ends. But um, anyway, so uh, Toby loved uh, my performance, even though it was like 20, 30 seconds cameo as the hitchhiker. And he said, uh, 
And he said, yeah, I love the, I love the, the hitch, you know, and I, I said I had done, I was the hitchhiker. And he said, well, I love that. Well, if I ever do a sequel, I'll keep you in mind. I went, geez, all right, great, you know. And that was the end of our conversation. Well, I didn't hear from him for two years. So I figured that was just one of those little, you know, love you, baby, see you later. Yeah. And, uh, and so, uh, and, and then two years later, I got a call in the middle of, you know, it was one night early in the year, like Jan, Feb, something like that. And uh, it was this guy saying his name was Kit Carson. And I had read about him on page six of the New York Post, kind of the gossip column. He, had, he was married to Karen Black. Uh, they had a kid who starred in Paris, Texas. You know, he was a screenwriter. I knew, I knew that name. And he said, where do you want me to send a copy of the script of Chainsaw 2? And I said, uh, you know, I gave him my address. This is before the internet, so you have to actually send the thing in the mail. And uh, he sent me a copy of the Chainsaw 2 script and told me to look at the part of Chop Top. And I did, and I thought it was hilarious. And I called him back, he gave me his number. And so I called him back, I said, oh, it's great. I love this, and I, I love the part of Chop Top, it's hilarious. He goes, really, do you think so? And I said, yeah, man, it's great. He said, well, we'll be in touch. And uh, the next call I got was from the Canon Films legal department uh, asking me if I wanted to negotiate my own contract. So that's basically, you know, the manicure, um, you know, making a short film, having the fortune of having a buddy who was across the hall from the direct, you know, all of those, everything fell into place. It was really kind of like winning the lottery. You know, it was very unlikely. I wasn't a professional actor. You know, I acted in, you know, high school, and college, you know, so I knew how to do it, but I just, uh, and I was, you know, good at it, I guess. But, uh, you know, it never occurred to me being from the Midwest, you know, being from outside of Chicago. My dad was a Republican, you know, tank car executive. You know, I mean, that wasn't really on, uh, that wasn't part of the, uh, you know, plans for my future. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, being a freelance writer was hard enough, but uh, the idea of me acting for a living was just uh, almost uh, sacrilegious. So. Well, you know, it brings up a good point when you talk about your family and such. What did they think of what you were doing in terms of being a freelance writer and, hey, I'm going to give this acting a shot and you know, to make it to pay the bills? Well, uh, you know, the freelance writing wasn't really making a lot of money. Um, you know, even though I, I did write for magazines, I was good. I was published many times. You know, that seemed to be, you know, what I was doing for my career. And, um, you know, it was very interesting because I remember um, uh, just to extend that Chainsaw Manicure story, when I, uh, uh, when they, when Canon Film said, do you want to negotiate your own contract or do you have an agent? And uh, I didn't because I wasn't a professional actor. Um but uh, what I said, uh, what I did was, well, I said, one of the great lines that I've ever uttered was, let me get back to you. So I got a, num a person and a number and hung up the phone and remembered that I had, I had run into a uh, William Morris agent um, during a Christmas party, like a couple weeks earlier, a uh, woman at uh, William Morris. So uh, Risa, Risa was her name. And uh, so I called her up. Uh, because we had exchanged numbers somehow, or I got the number from the host of the party. And, um, and I said, Hey, it's me. Uh, you know, would you mind negotiating a contract for me? And she said, uh, sure. You know, cause for an agent, that's 
pretty much free money. And uh, so she called, she's the one that called Canon Films legal department. And she called me back and she said, uh, well, I've got some good news and some bad news. And I said, well, what's the good news? And she said, well, they want you to play this part of Chop Top. And I said, oh my God, that's amazing. That's great. I said, well, what's, what's the bad news? Well, they, they, they're only going to pay you a SAG minimum. SAG meaning Screen Actors Guild, SAG mm -hmm. minimum. And I went, you know, how much is that? Now, at the time, as a freelance writer, I was averaging maybe $250, $300 a week, you know, if you averaged out my income. And, um, and she said, and I said, what's, what's SAG minimum? It sounded bad. And she said, uh, I don't know, I think $1,600, $1,700 a week. <laughs> I was like, oh, geez, that's terrible. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, well, I think I can handle that. And then uh, she said, well, yeah, but there's, there's more bad news. I went, oh, geez, what, what, it, what could it possibly be? And she said, well, because you have a, a prosthetic, you have a plate in your head, uh, they want you to shave your head. And I went, okay. And she said, well, I told them that you were a working actor and that if you shaved your head, you wouldn't get work for six months or something. So they've agreed to pay you $5,000 to shave your head. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, that's the bad news. Oh my God. So that, uh, you know, that was very funny. So uh, that, and that impressed my parents. You know, I, I, being a freelance writer was all well and good because you had some proof and oh my God, look, here's my son, you know, pick up a magazine or oh, here's my son, my son's article and byline. But uh you know, what really impresses the folks uh, is, you know, you know, the bottom line. And so, um, uh, you know, after doing Chainsaw 2, you know, I made more money than I'd made probably, you know, in the last, in the previous five years combined. So uh, that was very impressive. So I think my parents warmed up to the idea pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of shaving head here, uh, I know you ended up years later having to do it for Devil's Rejects, for Otis, which most... Yes, actually, all, all three of the Rob Zombie movies. Yes. I, I had my head shaved for House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects, and recently, Three from Hell. Good news is it, it, it keeps growing back, so <laughs> that's... Nah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we all feel that pain. But, obviously, they called that the Fire, Firefly Film Series for the right. three of them and such. And there's a lot of different opinions of Rob working for Rob Zombie and all, but what impressed you the most about the man? About Rob? Yeah. Uh, you know that Rob uh, doesn't really, you know, if he gets his mind on something, uh, he goes for it, takes it. Uh, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't get discouraged. I think that's probably, um, I mean, obviously, he's a you know, very incredibly creative guy, he writes, he does amazing music and art. I mean, he is just, uh, you know, he's a fountain of inspirations and great ideas, cool, weird stuff. And, uh, but he doesn't get discouraged. You know, I think a lot of artists, myself included, uh, you know, it's, if, you hear, if you hear a discouraging word, like, you know, that home on the range line, um, you know, you can take it to heart, you can take it personally, it can kind of, you know, derail you, sometimes shut you down completely. With Rob, I think he actually relishes 
you know, fighting for his ideas. And, um, you know, so there's a confidence there, but there's also this kind of, you know, you know, I guess it's, maybe it's, I don't know if it's competitive. I don't know what the, uh, you know, psychology is, but he doesn't give up and uh, it's really impressive and really inspiring. Well, speaking of that with a confidence and all that, I was reading about the film you brought up three from hell, the end of the trifecta there. And there was a time period while you were working on the project that you, your confidence was shaken a little bit, but then you heard the voice of Otis telling you, Hey, sit down, let me do this. Yes. So what would, what do you think it was that was shaking your confidence at the time? Well, it was, uh, it was either the first or second day that we were shooting. And so, and this was after a 14 year, you know, hiatus of, um, you know, between devil's rejects and three from hell. That's a, that's a, a long time. So, you know, it's a long time for the characters too. So, Presumably that whole time, uh, Otis was in jail. Um, uh, and, uh, and so it was kind of, it was kind of, <clears throat> so a bit of a challenge to try to figure out, you know, how you pick up, uh, from where you left off. And, um, anyway, so I, you know, and, and of course it was very exciting to be working again after all that time. You know, I mean, I, I worked on other things, but working again on, the same character because Otis, you know, when it came to Devil's Rejects, it was the first time I had ever really repeated a character. I mean, I've done a lot of work over the years, but I've never really done, you know, the same character more than once. And so, um, you know, and it was very, it was a lot of fun and a real challenge, but very cool to do Otis from House of a Thousand Corpses to Devil's Rejects because Otis changed so drastically no longer an albino you know my eyes went from brown and red to blue got a beard uh you know my skin you know as i said no longer an albino more like uh you know one of the almond brothers so that was kind of a cool transition because that was pretty you know pretty uh dramatic um so now okay now 14 years later here's the new otis you know like the third otis and um and I remember, so I had a lot of thoughts about it and, uh, and I wanted to do good and I wanted to make Devil's Rejects Otis proud. So, you know, I had a lot on my head and, uh, you know, it was interesting because like it was a scene first or second day and I, I had like a mini kind of monologue. I think I'm addressing some reporters or something. And, and uh, so I have, you know, like some lines to deliver. And I started, uh, you know, uh, Rob called action. I started to speak and, um, and I stumbled over a line or two. And so we cut, you know, let's do it again, you know, action. So I, I do it a second time, <clears throat> stumble over the, you know, a different line. So I'm stumbling. And usually when you stumble over lines, it means, you know, they're not in there securely or you're distracted something is you know keeping you you know kind of keeping your focus from from happening and uh and so uh, rob was looking at me like dude and i said yeah give me give me a second so that's when i took i took a little time out sat down and that's when that voice that you mentioned uh, the voice of otis 
said, you know, get out of the way, Bill, I've got this. And I totally, I totally understood what that was. First of all, that the character was alive and well, and all I had to do was just get out of the way. That getting out of the way meant getting out of, you know, quit being the Hollywood actor, kind of what's my better side, you know, my, what's my line, you know, all of those considerations and insecurities, which, uh, you know, are very normal for any actor. And, uh, but I was just being gently but firmly pushed, pushed aside by Otis. And, you know, just get out of here, let me, you know, do my job. And uh, so I did, I, I acknowledged it, I honored it, and I got the hell out of the way. And the rest of the movie was uh, really pretty much of a, uh, you know, a piece of cake. I mean, it's always hard to do it, but, um, you know, I had the character, so, you know, whatever adjustments I had to make, you know, were pretty, pretty easy in comparison. So I'll end here with a two-parter because I know we're limited on time. But when do you feel you got the character or you fully wrapped your head into the character of Otis and going, okay, this is what he is and feel uncomfortable. But the other part of that is we had a fan ask, do you creep yourself out going into those dark spaces? Um, well, to answer the first part, I remember we were shooting um, House of a Thousand Corpses, and uh, there's a scene where Otis comes out from behind, you know, the cops have arrived at the Firefly house. Otis comes out from behind some rusted refrigerator in the front yard with a gun drawn, you know, and I, I and there's Walton Goggins, you know, the deputy, and I, you know, tell him to, you know, hey, piggy, get down on your knees, put your hands behind your head. You know, so I'm, I, I come out and, and uh, I was, you know, I mean, I, you know, for me, Otis was kind of a work in progress in, uh, in House with Thousand Corpses. Uh, but um, anyway, in that scene, you know, I, I walk out action, you know, I walk out with a gun. Okay, Piggy, get on your hands and knees or get on your knees. So, you know, and Rob says, cut. And he says, hey, you know, he comes up and he says, that's, that was great. Um, try it again, but this time uh, scratch your belly as you're, as you're approaching. And I went, okay, you know, that's, you know, can do that. And um, so there was an action cue and uh, I come out, you know, holding the gun in one hand and scratching my belly with another, the other hand. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, that was a really great piece of directing because uh, that gave me more insight into the character and kind of a, you know, almost a, like a body direction, you know, like, you know, if you're coming out, you can either come out with a gun, you're, you know, a little tense because you're holding a gun on somebody or trying to be menacing. But if you're coming out holding a gun on somebody, you're scratching your belly, there's a whole kind of a comfort in that or, you know, casualness that uh, really informed the character. Um, I say that I usually, I, I really got the character maybe six weeks after we finished shooting. Um, you know, that we needed some extra, some pickup shots, and we shot the um, black and white scene of uh, Run, Rabbit, Run. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, where I'm going, hunting humans ain't nothing but nothing. They all run like scared little rabbits. Run, rabbit, run, run, rabbit. And uh, that really, to me, that was really when I, you know, really viscerally got Otis. Um, you know, I, I mean, I certainly... Did it, you know, I, I'm not to dishonor any of the work I had done in the movie itself, 
But that really was where, oh, okay, that's Otis. And when we did Devil's Rejects, that's what I went back to. I went back to that scene of Run, Rabbit, Run. And that kind of, you know, reminded me, kind of it was like body memory, like, okay, that's Otis. So uh, I don't know if that answers your question. But yeah, we were, we were off and running at that point because yeah. you got it. So, yeah. but the second half of that, did you ever creep yourself out going to, no. How creepy? No. Okay. No, because you know what? It's not like, you know, some people are maybe method actors and maybe they have to kill people in order to feel like, you know, a real murderer. You know, I, I don't do that. I just use my imagination. Yeah. Um, what I usually do when I approach a movie, let's say, is I read the screenplay a bunch of times. Just go back, or, you know, read it again, read it again, read it again. Get the general lay of the land, the ideas, you know, the characters, the relationships, you know, basically make it familiar. And so that, um, and then I just, I'm guided by what the writer has written. Uh, you know, I don't try to, I don't try to make it mine in the sense of kind of let's change this and let's do that. And, you know, I, I basically just uh, surrender to, uh, you know, someone else's vision, if that's the vision of the character. So that, when, so that when I'm in the moment and actually doing a scene, that everything is organic to, you know, what's on the, the written page. Um, you know, that's basically what I do. Sometimes, you know, if I'm in a, in a scene, I can see that maybe there's a better way to say something or do something. I always, you know, consult the director. That's, you know, for me, that's the boss. And, um, and I say, you know, can we try it this way? Or, you know, what do you think? And, the director is down with it. Great. If the director is not down with it, no problem. Yeah. Next. Yeah. yeah. Check it off next and yeah. go from there. Well, yeah. Bill, I know I could talk to you all day about this, but we short on time. Well, come to the, come to the drive-in. We'll, we'll keep talking. Oh, I'll make it happen. I'll we'll, we'll share, we'll share that info and safe travels out here for the first. And yes. We'll thank talk you. to you. I'll be wearing a mask. Now. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. With over 30 years of experience and a superb reputation for being a detail-oriented company, Lacey Cleaning has some of the highest work standards in the cleaning business. That's the fact, Jack! Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile, grout cleaning, new construction cleanup, rental turnovers, vent and duct cleaning, odor elimination, office and or business cleaning, power washing, residential cleaning, you name it, they do it. Check them out to contact them today, LaceyCleaning at gmail.com or call them at 609-709-8536. That's what I'm talking about. Wow! Thinking your day is bad and really looking to make it worse? Why not try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts there's bound to be injuries. Now that's what I call depressing. It's gonna make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope wanna jump off the highest of planks. 
For those that are getting now that's what I call depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars, wrinkled ladies. For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend while in Sail Black 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open. <laughs> who the fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon. Farthing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap, an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS. Andras Jones from Radio 8 Ball and Nightmare on Elm Street, and I'm riding the Dreamliner on Crazy Train Radio. <laughs> 